This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest is Father Connor Penn. Good morning, Father. We're in Advent now, and as we were planning these Advent programs, I asked, who is a joyful priest of the diocese? And your name kept coming up. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's No pressure, I guess, to be joyful <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of have to be now. So we're following the Advent themes people may know of faith and hope, joy and peace. Where does your joy come from? My joy comes from the Lord and knowing that I've been redeemed by him, saved by him. I have a heavenly inheritance that I'm so eager to inherit one day. My joy comes from the Lord. And I think also of my favorite Bible verse, because I get that question a lot as a priest, you know, Father, what's your favorite Bible verse? Well, it comes from Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, do not be sad in this day, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's where my joy comes from. It comes from the Lord and what he's done for us. Where are you assigned right now? Currently, I'm at St. Catherine of Siena, which is in Clearwater. So you're just a hop, skip, and a jump from the beach? That's right. Although, like so many people who live near the beach, I don't go to the beach nearly as much as I really ought to. Oh, that's such a great place for like morning prayer and evening prayer. I know, I know. I need to get there much more often than I do. Yeah. But the other thing is, people will tell you this in Clearwater, Clearwater Beach, it is just a mess. There's so many people out there (laughs) that sometimes by the time I get to the beach... I just need to calm down from the traffic that I was in. <laughs> You're not so joyful. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. That's true. So, Father, the world at times can be a powder keg. Right now, there are multiple wars going on. How do you encourage people to keep joy when they turn on the news and all you see is violence and hatred? Yeah, you're so right, Deacon. I mean, even just in these recent times, like I feel like especially this Advent, this has been just a more difficult Advent than normal, it seems like, just with everything that's going on in the world right now. But a couple of things that I suggest to people, one is maybe more practical in the here, but I suggest people just to take stock of their relationships and their friendships that they have with other people, you know, to ask themselves, this friendship that I have, the way that I relate to this person, does this person help me live in joy or does this person remove that joy, you know? And sometimes maybe we have to take consideration, okay, maybe this relationship needs to look differently if when I spend time with this person, it's not fomenting joy. There's not joy that is brought about because of it. You know, I'm I'm thinking of the words of Jesus who says, I didn't come so much to bring peace so much as division. And we might hear that and think, what? You know what I mean? Is this the same Jesus or the (laughs) Prince of Peace here? But I think part of that is recognizing yeah, there, there may be people in our lives who just don't bring us to that joy, you know, and we may need to put some distance there for a time to recognize, you know, if this person is not bringing me to a place of joy, then that relationship might need to look differently. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. But especially, Deacon, as you mentioned, just all that we're in right now, I mean, gosh, it just seems like the world is a mess. What I also tell people is to take notice of staying informed with the news, but not being consumed by it. Or or even maybe a, a better way to say it is to stay aware, but don't despair. Mm. You know, stay aware of what's going on in the news. Yes, we, we need to stay current. We need to stay updated. We need to be praying for what's going on. We need to stay aware, but we shouldn't despair. 
we shouldn't allow that awareness to bring us to a place of despair. You know, I think specifically of people, it's just a Clearwater thing, I guess, but, you know, a lot of maybe older people, and I use that word delicately in Clearwater especially, but a lot of older people, you know, they may be inclined to watch kind of hours on end of the news and, and you know, it just brings people to such a place of despair. I would encourage them to say, okay, how can I stay aware, but not to despair and to know that the Lord has conquered it all and this world as we know it is passing away. So I know that was a really long answer <laughs> to your question. But it's a great answer. And I actually started thinking, when was the last time if you are so immersed in watching the news, when was the last time you took a beach walk yourself? And maybe that's mm. something you need to go do. Mm. If mm-hmm. you need that peace, just the smells and the, and the hearing the ocean, or not the ocean, the Gulf waves, it can really bring a lot of peace and then joy to mm-hmm. a heart. Mm-hmm. Talk about your pathway to the priesthood. Did you always want to be a priest when you were five years old? Were you playing mass? <laughs> no, I, I definitely was not one of those kids, the playing mass uh, sort of kids. Most times my experience with mass growing up was me kind of holding on to the bed. No, I won't go. You won't make me, you know? And, and that, that uh, doesn't happen now. Does no, it? no, 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 no. Most times, most times. No, no, honestly. But I would say every once in a while, there was something about me that said, you know, I guess I actually don't mind mass so much. Just being with the community, seeing friends from school, you know, maybe a passage from the Bible that I enjoy listening to every once in a while. I would say that was that was in the background. But then I really enjoyed getting involved with the Mass. That made it more exciting, less boring. Uh, so I was an altar server growing up. You know, I loved reading at Mass. But for the longest, God for me was just kind of a concept, something I had to study about because the test was coming up. But this really changed, I'd say, in high school. I went to one of our local Catholic high schools here. While in high school, I began to discover Jesus as a friend, you know, not just a concept, but a person, a person who wanted to have a relationship with me. And as that grew over time, as that friendship grew, it came to a point where I wanted to help other people in that relationship as well, that I wanted to spend a lifetime helping them come to know this friend that I had made Jesus and what I love about being a priest so much is that not only do I get to speak about that friendship, but then I get to make that friendship present. You know, I get to make Jesus present in the Eucharist, in the confessional, at the bedside for an anointing. It's just so, so powerful. What advice can you give somebody like me who needs to dive deeper into that friendship that he has? I would say, Deacon, it's it's like any other friendship we have in, in our lives, right? That the more time we spend with someone, the more we begin to see that person as a friend. You wouldn't consider someone a very close friend if you hadn't seen him or talked to him in five years, <laughs> you know? So growing in that relationship is like any other friendship we have in our lives. And, and what's so important is the conversation, the prayer. We would call that prayer, right? A conversation with Jesus, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit to carve out, even if it's just a couple of moments in our day, to have that one-to-one conversation to speak. And then even more importantly, right, to listen. That's what makes a good friend is a willingness to listen to whatever our friend may want to say to us. What was it that you wanted to be as a child? And then when did you really start to discover that call? That's a great question. And it's very providential that we're here in this studio because for the longest, I actually wanted to be in broadcasting. I've always had a desire, let's say, to tell people about something. 
and I always thought that that would be sports. So I'm a big sports fan. I always support our local teams here. So growing up, I thought I would make a career, have a family with wife and kids, you know, in broadcasting. But over time, I found that God was actually calling me to announce a different sort of news, the good news, and that's what has brought me to the priesthood today. Was there a particular person that helped kind of form you, or was it just the Spirit alone? I'd say my parents, first and foremost. I'm so grateful to my parents. They really formed me so well at home. Different influences in high school as well, professors, priests, college as well. I went to a Catholic college. So I I have to give a lot of credit where credit is due. A lot of different people in my life have helped me to become who I am today. We're talking with Father Connor Penn, and our Advent theme this week is joy. Let's look at the opposite of joy for a second, if we could. Talk to the person who is struggling with faith in the church, and they are actually thinking about leaving the church because they think that outside of the walls of the church is where joy is. When we look at the words of Jesus, Jesus makes a number of promises to us. And in one of his promises, he says in in John chapter 10, is that I have come and I've come that they might have life to the full. And for that person struggling, hey, yeah, I I recognize that struggle and would just want to encourage that person that we trust that Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. And he desires to give us that life through the church, you know, and what the church teaches yeah, at times the difficult teachings, you know, of our faith, we trust that in that is life, is life to the full, is the joy. It's kind of like, you know, I'm reminded of this rule that my parents would have around Christmas time, Halloween, you know, whenever there was candy around, they would say, okay, just two pieces of candy a day. I look back now and I realize that my parents were actually doing that for my betterment, for my joy, that I might experience life to the full. And I think in some way, that's what we see with the church as well. Sometimes when teachings of the church are are so difficult to accept, to embrace, we trust that, yeah, we have a Heavenly Father who's communicating to our church and actually wants us to experience life to the full. What do you do in your free time? Do you have free time? (laughs) (laughs) Do you get a day off? Yeah, I, I do. I do get a day off. I live life to the full, though, so so it is a very full schedule for me. But in that free time, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I really am a a big sports fan. So I always love watching our teams here in Tampa Bay. That's a big thing in my free time. I always love to spend time with family and friends as well. Having grown up here in Tampa Bay, it's just so special to spend time with people I've known for my entire life, family, of course, but then also friends, people I've known since kindergarten. They're getting married now. They're having children. I'm able to baptize those children and watch them grow up. It's it's so special. That's another thing I love to do in my free time, just be with people. So you really have just a gigantic family. <laughs> it's true. It's true, the family of faith. And, you know, sometimes people will ask me, Father, well, well, you don't have a family. You know, is that something that you regret or miss? Listen, I could show you a couple thousand people on Sunday who all constitute my family and ways that I'm able to love them and ways that they've grown in a relationship with me that maybe they don't even have with their other family members. All right, so give us some secrets here. What's life like in the rectory? (laughs) What goes on in there? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good question. Well, I'd say every rectory is a little bit different. There's kind of a flavor to each rectory, and it certainly depends upon the social life or lack thereof of the priest there. But really, I'm, I'm so grateful for the rectory that I'm in currently, firstly, because we have a chapel. 
And I'd say the, the majority of rectories have a chapel. That's something that I don't take for granted. And so many people tell me if they have like a holy envy, we can call it, that it's, yeah, it really is such a blessing. Like even this morning, I spent my day. It was the first thing I did. I went out of bed. I went to the chapel, spent some time of prayer. But then in terms of how we interact as priests, it's really special, you know, to have that companionship. My pastor and I will pray together just about every day. Sometimes I want to sleep in so I don't get up. He's a very early riser. But, you know, we'll pray together. We'll go out for meals together. Sometimes we cook together, watch the Buccaneers game together. So there's a real companionship in the rectory as well. When is it okay to start listening to Christmas music? <laughs> We're in Advent okay, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, this is a good one. This is a really good one. I've vacillated a number of times about this very thing, okay? You know, a seminary, you get very stringent and you're like, okay, this is how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I remember there's one year in the seminary, I said, okay, I'm not listening to any Christmas music until Christmas, you know? That's just wrong. Uh, that, yeah. That's, that's horrible. You know, I, I tried it and it just... Uh, It was like the people who give up coffee for Lent, you know, and then they realized this actually was worse than when I was drinking coffee. I found it was the same thing, you know, because when the Christmas music would come on, I would be like, no, shut that off. You know, like it's not time. Specifically, when is the best time? Gosh, I would say, you know what I'm going to say? Since we're talking about joy, let's say on Gaudete Sunday which is the third Sunday of Advent. I'm going right? to have to fight you on this, Father. Oh, okay. Come on. You're going to say earlier. Oh, I'm, I'm September. <laughs> <laughs> I've been pushing the station no, here no. to start in <laughs> September to make that switch. Yeah. Well, and here's, here's the opposite argument, right? I, I think that as a culture, we've lost the true sense of Advent, you know, which is a time of expectation, a time of waiting. If I can mention my parents again, you know, I think they really taught me the gift of waiting, you know, I remember we'd be on car trips coming home and I'd want to stop for something to eat, right? Or they'd say, no, we have plenty of food at home. You know, good things come to those who wait. And it's true. Good things come to those who wait. I think we've lost the idea of Advent as a time of anticipation, waiting. Not like I'm waiting in a waiting room and there's nothing but old magazines, but we're waiting once again to welcome the birth of Jesus. So you know what I'm going to say? This is how I think I, I talk. I'm going to stick fast to my Gaudete Sunday, and I'm just going to block out, you know, the (laughs) negative feedback here. But I would say that's an appropriate way. Okay, we spent two weeks of waiting in Advent, and then, yeah, we just can't help ourselves because we know how this story ends. Yeah, well, as long as I'm not in the state of mortal sin from listening (laughs) from September on, we're all good. Back to things of joy. Who is the most joyful person you know? Okay, so the obvious answer here is Jesus, right? We can just like Put that aside. You I know, knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I knew you <laughs> course, were going to say of that. Of course. But on top of that, or no, below that, <laughs> is my mother. I'd say she's just such a joyful example to me. She spent so many years here in our diocese in education, educating our young ones. And that takes a special calling, a special calling of joy, especially. So I'd say the most joyful person I know is my mother. Give us a small number of joyful moments you've had as a priest. My most joyful moments as a priest are hearing first reconciliations. I love that moment so much. We normally do it, you know, in the early spring. And it's just so special to see these, you know, young ones come in. And most of the time, they're really nervous, you know. So we have to kind of like talk them down. It's going to be okay. There's something, yeah, about it where they come in and they just feel the weight of sin. They're like, I did these wrong things. And of course, comparison to others, we look at it and say, okay, maybe this isn't, you know, the most grave matter here. 
but they come in, you know, they're so nervous and they sit in the chair and, you know, their feet don't even like hit the floor. So they're kind of like dangling. And I just have this sense of whatever you want to say, listen, you are going to be entirely forgiven for. I just really feel like a dad in that moment. So they confess the sins and then we go through it. And I've actually had several children when we end, they'll get up and they'll say like, wait, that's it? Like, that was, <laughs> I enjoyed that. Like, that was good, you know? And and uh, so that's definitely the most joyful moments I have as a priest, our first reconciliations. But on top of that, yeah, ordinations, that's just such a joyful time. Weddings, I really, that brings so much joy because there's just such a joyful spirit there. And And I've been really privileged to officiate the weddings of a number of really good friends, you know, and, and that's really so special to see someone I've known for years and years, find that person who's going to help them get to heaven. It, yeah. Baptisms, Eucharist, it's, it's all a joy. Really. So it's all sacraments. I would say so. Which you need yeah. to stay in the church to receive the sacraments. It, exactly. Our guest today is Father Connor Penn, the theme of joy, and this is How We See It. You're listening to How We See It. A look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM's SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at myspiritfm.com. Now, back to our program. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney. Our guests are Debbie and Michael Lundberg. Welcome, first of all. Thank Thank you. We're here because it's Advent and we're talking about love. Somewhere along the line, you learned about self-sacrifice. So, Debbie, was it an organization? Was it a church? As a child growing up, were your parents just instilling this in you? Deacon Mike, it's really interesting because we've talked about this, that we weren't raised to be charitable. Now, we weren't raised to be stingy either, so I, I don't want to take anything away from that. Instead, it was really very intentional on my part. I was an undergrad at the University of Michigan and realized that the engagements I was having as a social director and working in the library, that, as my roommate told me, nobody wanted to get on my bad side. When I asked her if people did things because they liked me or if they didn't want to make me mad. And when you ask a question like that, be prepared for the answer. So I started intentionally thinking about how could I sincerely change and be the person I wanted to be. And so that goodness and kindness, you learn through trial and error and not everything's perfect. And certainly that's what led me to this lead with love effort. We're going to get to in a second, an unbelievable showing of love that you had for mankind. Michael, how about you? Did you grow up in a church? Was it an organization? How did you learn this whole gift of love? Mostly from Debbie. (laughs) I grew up similar background to Debbie. Uh, My parents had three boys all within 36 months, so they had their hands full just keeping us in our sports and school. So uh, learned it later in life. So Debbie, at some point, something touched your heart and you started thinking about kidney donation. When did that start? Interestingly enough, as soon as I became a driver and I happened to be in the state of Michigan, I registered to be what I call a donor upon death. So if you go to donatelife.net, you can do that. So it was my thought that after I passed on that my body could still serve in another way. So that had been out there and the simplicity of every time I went to another state, renewing that. Now, I didn't have it on my vision board or my bucket list or whatever you want to say that I would somehow be a living kidney donor. And yet what happened was I happened to see a post from a person who'd seen me speak before and quite simply thought, 
let me do something. I don't like it when people say, let me know what I can do for you, and then they disappear. So I really thought that I might do some complimentary coaching, some encouragement, and I reached out and decided to go through the process. Now, Michael, you had to, at some point, hear this news from her, and what were you thinking when she first said, by the way? Oh, I was very, very concerned, of course, for her safety. And then I did some research on it and found out how safe it is. But yeah, at first I was petrified until I dug in, did a lot of the research and said, okay, this is going to be very safe for my wife and just unbelievable for the recipient. So talk about that first step, Debbie. So, all right, well, let me break the news first of all. Debbie, you donated a kidney to a stranger. Yes. And then a couple of years later, Michael, you did the same thing? Six months later. Six months later. Wow, not to be done. You just <laughs> jumped right in there. We're competitive in a good way. That's one way to be competitive. <laughs> Stop there, though. You can't give up any, <laughs> anymore. So what was that first step of being tested, Debbie? And were you nervous at all? Yes. The curious aspect of it was that I reached out to the person who I saw the post but didn't know her. And so I, I wanted to, for some reason, know more about her. And while we weren't getting connected that way, I found out it was simply a blood test. And so I ordered on Amazon a blood test. So when I pricked my fingers and I saw what it was, I thought I want to message her to find out if that's her blood type. I was so naive. I thought if I was a blood type match, I could magically somehow hand her my kidney and it, this would all work out. And so back to the first step. Funny thing, Tampa General Hospital doesn't let you use an Amazon purchase blood type testing. So instead, I started with a blood test. And there's a woman named Santa who's outstanding at Tampa General Hospital. And I'll never forget that when I went in and she said to me, I hope I see you again. I realized she really hoped she would see me again. Because if she saw me again, that meant things were good and somebody was going to receive a kidney. And so that was the first step. And then the pandemic hit. And then from there on out, I was by myself the entire time. So it was me with one other person or one technician or one physician at a time. So, Michael, you couldn't even be with her to hold her hand in case those nerves did creep in. It was just you're on your own. You got to weather Absolutely. This. I couldn't go to anything, even dropping her off at the hospital. I couldn't go in the hospital, just had to leave and just mm -hmm. wait to hear from the doctors how everything went. Yeah, it was very unnerving. Was there any point actually at that point where you said, I, I don't know if I really want to do this? No, I was driving not far from the studios here. I called Michael and I said, I know this might sound crazy. I believe I'm going to be a match. And I'd only done the blood type testing. And Michael said, when you say it's crazy, it's usually true. And at that point, I think I would have been shocked if they told me I wasn't a match because no matter what, I was donating a kidney unless something then I found out was wrong with me that then we would have addressed. So I was, I'm not saying I wasn't nervous and excited. I wasn't ever fearful or scared though, because I knew I was in really good hands. I had Michael's support and it felt right. You don't always know your neighbor or know them well or even like them. And yet if you can do for them, do for them. And I read somewhere that COVID actually sped things up for the whole process, didn't it? COVID sped things up for Michael's process. COVID for us slowed it down. As a matter of fact, they said, well, Debbie, since this is happening and we can't have all this contact, if you want to wait, we can wait. And I said, I don't want to wait. Because I travel so much for work, my work really shut down a lot. And I decided to give away all my work free that year as well. And so it played in perfectly. And I would have done it 
as soon as possible then. Yeah, my process was very quick. I called the hospital in January. I planned after learning how many people were on the transplant list. That really hit home when there's over 100,000 people in the U.S. on the transplant list and 13 pass away every day. Just waiting. Just waiting. Mm -hmm. And I thought I work with a group of about 40 people, and we have meetings every year. We've worked together for many years, and I thought about it. In our three-day meetings, at the end of the meeting, everybody in that room could be gone if they're on the kidney list. And that just really hit home. I said, I'm going to certainly donate when I retire in about 10 years. And come January 2021, still wasn't traveling a whole lot. So I said, I'm, I'm going to do it now. I called the hospital. I got in the following week for my interview. Then we started the tissue testing the following week, got approved probably another week later. And in another week, they had the perfect match for me. And so went in. I started in January. It was February 24th, I believe. 24th. I, I donated, yes. Now, I started in February and donated August 6th. You're right. COVID changed it into the surgeons and the team and everyone at the transplant center at Tampa General Hospital. They figured out how to do it to still save lives at that crucial time. Yeah, the people with kidney disease and failure were not going to stop being sick because of COVID. Mm -mm. So you had to continue with that whole mission. So talk about the process of going from operation to recovery and do you ever worry now, since you're down, both are down a kidney, do you worry about a future kidney disease or anything? To answer the, the latter part first, no. Human beings with their function of kidneys, with all of the extensive testing, I mean, it is so thorough, you likely will not ever have a more thorough test of your body. They will not put a donor in jeopardy. So I don't believe either of us are nervous about that because... Number one, the testing is good. They take your kidney that is either equal or slightly less functioning for the recipient. Your remaining kidney will continue to amp up, so to speak, to take care of all of the function. And then we're tested regularly for two years, and then Michael and I go to the doctor regularly. I can tell you that our primary care physician tells us that we are more concerned and conscientious to ensure our numbers are there and we haven't had an issue. So when you go through the process, you're typically going to be in the hospital for say three to four days, and it's a six month full recovery. But you can do a lot, and it depends on your state of health. I was very active before, I still am. So I was in the hospital only for one night, and then I followed the instructions of Dr. Wong, my physician. He said, if you'll do this, Debbie, you'll be up to 10,000 steps by day 12. So you typically go back in two weeks, and he said, I'll do it at 12. And by the 11th day, I ran a mile, a slow mile. But I'm used to running three to six miles in a day. So it really is that if you care for yourself and you listen to the instructions and you follow it, it's really spectacular. Bizarre as it may sound, sometimes we talk about, we forget. We don't think about, I only have one kidney. We keep going on with our lives, and we're grateful for our health. The recovery is remarkable. They take great care of you. And it's not painful when you get out. You're just uncomfortable. I tell people, you feel pretty bad for about seven to 10 days. You just feel off. And then after that, you have your energy back. And then you have to be very careful then because you have this large incision and you feel great like you can do anything, but you don't want to tear that incision and get a hernia. That's actually the most common problem that can happen. So we were both very careful with our activities afterwards. But then six to eight weeks later, we were cleared to play golf and move on and do what we wanted to do. And it felt great ever since. 
both of you showed an incredible act of love towards people you don't know, although you probably know them now, right? A little bit. Yes, I got to meet my recipient a year and a half afterwards, and he's a wonderful man, married with five children, and he's younger than we are, and he was near the very end of his life. And now his life, he has a new life, and he and his family are absolutely loving it. It's so uh, so fun to see them. They're so happy. And I'd met the person before and connected, and they live in the area, and I wish her the best. If we're not physically able to do something as big as what you guys did, how else can we just show love during this season of Advent? During the season of Advent and throughout our lives, a smile, a bit of grace when somebody missteps or misspeaks, and not taking it that something is an attack on you and practicing forgiveness, as you know. And even if you can do something with your body, something like donating blood or registering to be a donor or the bone marrow registry, any of those things, you give a little extra out of your funds if you have it to somebody who doesn't. They're all acts of kindness and love and the ability to see another human as who they are, another person very similar to you, perhaps in different circumstances. Our guests today are Debbie and Michael Lundberg. Man, talk about a story of love. Good for you guys. Thank you for your gift to humanity. The world needs it. This is how we see it. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.